Then I look back at some of my own impressions of certain places around the world, and I think of a place like Iraq or, you know, any of these places that have a negative reputation. And it's like, it's like saying, oh, I would never go to Iraq because I would be in a terrorist attack. And then you meet someone in Iraq and they're like, what are you talking about, man? <laughs> it's like we have, you know, there's millions and millions of normal people living here, having everyday lives, raising their kids, going to school, working in IT and in offices and things you know, just the same as you and me. So it's kind of funny to have those experiences as the person who's reacting that way, like, what? And then realize, oh, I actually, I'm probably doing, thinking about certain places the same way as they're thinking about where I'm from. Hello, and welcome to the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast, where you'll hear conversations that generate one aha moment after another for you. There is an enormous wave of goodness in progress well underway in the world that no one knows enough about yet. Yes, it is still an amazing world. And on this podcast, we will introduce you to the people making it that way. We're here to shine a light on their ingenious solutions, the wonderful things they're doing to improve the future for us all. And hopefully during those conversations, we're gonna give you insights that you need to find and cultivate what you're uniquely built to contribute and the insights that you can use every day to cope. Because these folks that I'm talking to, <laughs> they have learned how to turn setbacks into opportunity. They know how to not follow their emotions over a cliff and find opportunity in, in almost everything that happens. So welcome to the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast. Today, we're talking to YouTuber Doug Barnard. Now, <laughs> I know that YouTuber qualifier at the beginning might not seem like it's a connected enough topic to what we're doing <laughs> at the Goodness Exchange. Doug is laughing. But I'm telling you, I discovered Doug Barnard's work this week, and I had to interview him instantaneously. I now have, have watched him all over the world doing the most remarkable things. And that's the point. Doug visits the places less traveled in the world, and he meets people there who call those places home. And he is completely changing the narrative about the world out there and the people, the others, who we hear so much negativity about in the news media. Doug has 440,000 subscribers to his YouTube channel, which we'll let him tell you all about. And he has a great extraordinary little twist on his personal life story where a big setback in his life turned into an opportunity. And I know that that part of the adventure will resonate with everyone too. So welcome, Doug, to the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast. Thank you so much, Dr. Linda. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. I'll let you set the stage for your life story that what led you here. But I think I've said enough to let people know that Doug's insight, that we can, the takeaway message we can all use every day, for me, is that most people in the world turn out to be exactly like us. They want the same things we do. They want safety and security and happiness and fun and all those things. They want to know that the, their kids are going to have the next meal and, and that they'll sleep safely. But I'm going to let Doug really, most of us know that, but I'm going to let Doug's life experiences really expand how we feel about that. So that next time we hear some narrative about the world, that's just horrifying. And of course, that's going to roll into our lives with the way the news media works. <laughs> what you hear today from Doug is going to completely give you strength. So you stay, you stay on your feet and you are more savvy about what to listen for and what to look for out there in the world. So, Doug, did I characterize the way your your takeaway message, what you think your takeaway message, your experiences are? Did I characterize that right? Absolutely. I think it was perfect. That's been something I've been learning along the way, and I feel like the takeaways for me are continually evolving, but that would be the overarching one is that most people are good, period. And of course, there's differences between people and cultures, and but at the end of the day, when you spend time with people across the world, it's, it's, you find more in common than differences. And uh, yeah, it's just amazing time and time again, it just continues to amaze me. Well, and that's what I love about your YouTube videos. So just so you folks have a little bit of context, Doug, what's your YouTube channel called? Uh, it's just my name, Doug Barnard. Okay. When yes. you go there, you will see no end to the 10 to 20 minutes. Do you, you, you purposely try and keep it in there? 
You know, I kind of wing it every time, but it seems like that's usually where it falls. 10, yeah. 20, sometimes 25. And it looks like you're doing a whole lot of work to make sure these videos clip along and we keep learning more pretty quickly. It's not, it's not just ordinary folks travel videos. It's nothing like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, thank you, know, you. Thank you. What I see is that you just go from ordinary person to ordinary person in these videos and you look like you're having just the time of your life and they look like they're having the time of their lives too. Yeah, well, I think it's just, you know, the joy of connecting with someone. Like for me, it's, it's, I'm this person in a foreign land usually. And it's just this, this uh, cross cultural moment between people that is, you know, interesting in so many ways. And, and yeah, it's just, I've been so fortunate to be welcomed and, um, have been given amazing hospitality and, and just kindness and generosity around the world. So yeah, it's been incredible. Okay, so let's get started. You know, the, my takeaway, I just chatted with Doug for a few minutes to get us sort of on the same page about what insights were just going to be precious to us all at the end of this interview. I really like the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast to give people something they can't unsee, something that they can start using the very day. And one of the things that I took away from our brief conversation a minute ago was that there's so much reason for hope. And there is a way that we can all get a lot more savvy about believing the narrative about the outside world that we're hearing because it's so darn limited, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. I think the it is so limiting. And the best, the absolute best way in my view is to get out there and see these places for yourself. Of course, you know, uh, well, you're remaining responsible and, and taking whatever precautions you might need, but there's so much to see out there. And to have that experience firsthand is just, you, you just can't get it from reading an article or watching a video on the internet, or something like that. So that's, yeah, that's, that I would be I want to point out that Doug is not saying at Stanzel's hotels on resort <laughs> beaches. Give us just a teeny tiny broad overview of the places that you that you're traveling. Well, so I've spent a lot of time in the Middle East, in Arab countries and places around that part of the world, North Africa, down to Sudan, a little bit over into Asia and Eastern Europe. But yeah, some of these places, you know, I'd say most extreme was I slept on the floor of the border station in the middle of the desert between Egypt and Sudan. And we stayed there for 24 hours straight and the total journey was 48 hours. So it was extremely frustrating at times, but... <laughs> You know, it was, it was humbling and, and, and it was just the adventure of a lifetime, of course, at the end of the day. So it's not always comfortable, but it's always, it's always at the end of the day, a great experience. Well, let's get some of those stories of adventure because I want to have people as inspired as I am about the expanded worldview that you offer us with these videos and, and we'll give people more access to that YouTube channel and the, all the links are going to be in the show notes too. So let's start with your story because the first thing that most of us can take away from this interview is that, golly, <laughs> if you have the right attitude, you can turn a really bad setback into opportunity to give us some of your story. Sure. So I grew up in Connecticut in kind of a, you know, pretty homogenous upper middle class sort of town. I went to public high school there and ended up going to study hospitality at Cornell University. And after that, I worked for Walmart e-commerce in their New York office selling pet supplies on walmart.com. So kind of a strange role that I never imagined myself in. But if you need to know anything about dog and cat flea and tick products, I am definitely your guy. <laughs> I'm the expert there. So was working there for a little over two years. I graduated in 2018 and I worked till mid 2020. And that's of course when COVID rolled around. And in August of 2020, I ended up getting laid off from Walmart as part of this mass layoff amidst the pandemic and kind of a reorganization of the company. Hundreds of people were laid off. It was this whole big thing. My whole team was basically liquidated. <laughs> And, you know, I'd started my YouTube channel as kind of just a side hobby and just like a little pet project for myself when I traveled. So it's just about, yeah, right at the beginning of 2020, I actually did my first trip where I filmed for YouTube in January and February of 2020. And I got back and boom, COVID hit. So I had it going, but as this small sort of side thing that was just mainly for my own enjoyment, but I could see the potential with it and the momentum that if I, oh man, if I only had more time, I would think every morning going to the train to take the train to work. Like, man, I would love if instead of, you know, going and selling flea and tick supplies right now, I could be working on my videos or putting more time into that. And so I end up getting laid off. 
And I found myself at this crossroads. It really was like I had this binary choice to make, which was, all right, I can kind of take this crazy leap off the cliff and go try and travel full time. And this is, you know, it's, it had been my dream for a while to, to have travel be a larger part of my, of my career. And uh, I had this fledgling YouTube channel. So my choice was uh, I go and just put it all out there and try to make this into my full-time job, or I get a more traditional job again in New York or somewhere else in the States and hopefully maintain it as a side project. But through talking to a bunch of important people in my life and just kind of realizing the once in a lifetime opportunity to pursue it, I of course ended up taking the first option, which was to move abroad full-time and travel full-time and, and really see if I could turn this into uh, something sustainable for myself. And uh, so that's what I did. And that's kind of ever since I, I, I set off full-time in, in uh, January of 2021. And so I've been traveling more or less full-time ever since then and just building continuously since then. So this is, you know, this is counterintuitive to the way a lot of people would respond. You know, they, they invested all this in their college education. They had a niche. They had a job there. You know, right around the corner was the mass resignation so that you could have probably gone right back and gotten a job anywhere you wanted and named your tune. But instead, you just launched out into the world. There had to have been someone, something that gave you the courage to do that. Is there something in your upbringing that, that you want to share with us? You know, it's funny. Like I'd say I grew up in a pretty traditional, at least in terms of career orientation, a pretty traditional household. And my dad is a very black and white kind of guy. I like to say he's go to school, get a nice job, settle down and, and build a life in that way, in a very traditional sense. But I was very lucky in that as I explained this kind of crazy idea that I had to him, he was super supportive of it. Both my parents were, but I remember my dad specifically saying to me, because I had, you know, of course, all of these hesitations and concerns that, like, oh, what if it doesn't work out? What if I just, what if I can't sustain myself through this? And what if I, it just flounders and it's embarrassing and, and nothing works out and I have to crawl back with my tail between my legs and, and, you know, admit defeat. But he said to me, it's like, you can do anything for a year, go do it. You're fortunate enough that you can, you know, if, if it doesn't work out, if it totally crashes and burns, you know, you will be able to come back. It won't be the end of the world. You can get another job, you can recover and, and you can, you know, you can move on, but you're going to, regardless, even if the YouTube thing in the material sense, if it failed, the experiences that you'll have will be, will have been worth it. And so hearing that from him, it was almost like it unlocked this permission in my mind to, to go out and just give it a chance and just be vulnerable and let it happen and, and see what it could be. So that was that one line for me. You can do anything for a year was, was it really unlocked this potential for me. And, and that's kind of, that's kind of what set me off on my path. Okay. So, so this is a really useful insight. My parents were the same way about mm. you know, horrifying college roommates. They'd say, ah, you can live with anybody for a year or really poor fit for a first job. And when mm -hmm. I was in college, they were like, ah, you can do anything for a year. And you know, <laughs> <laughs> that statement kind of gets embedded in there and it really does give us give us this 40% in the tank that we often need, right? Absolutely. And it's not only that you can suffer through anything for a year uh, in the worst case scenario, but even if you do have to quote unquote suffer through something for a year, if you're really not enjoying it, more often than not, I'd say almost 100% of the time, you're going to have some greater takeaways or lessons that are going to be a positive for you at the end of the day. So, yes. um, yeah, that is the huge thing. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that is the, the saving grace to really the big, the big quandaries and struggles that we all get ourselves into. It, it is all about, my parents used to always say, manage the meaning mm -hmm. of the bad things that happen to you. Manage the meaning. Because it's so easy for our minds just to spin out and say it was somebody else's fault and play the victim and all the stuff. But they, my parents are very good about saying, oh yeah, you're going to fail. That's what life is. But then manage the meaning of that failure so that you carefully think about the stories you're telling yourself. I bet you you have a, <laughs> a raft of stories where things went way wrong and later you processed. Just give us one story from the world that went way, way wrong and that you took away a message like that from it. 
Oh man. Well, I alluded to it a little earlier and, but it, it was this journey. This is the one that comes to mind immediately. This journey, I was, I was in, uh, Southern Egypt and I really wanted to visit Sudan. And so I got a bus ticket to, uh, travel across the border from, from the city called Aswan in the South of Egypt to the capital of, of Sudan called Khartoum. And uh, I was told it was going to be about a 12 hour journey and, you know, it's boiling hot out and it's this, so we get on this bus, there's four other passengers besides me. They're all Sudanese. No one speaks a word of English. I don't speak more than four or five words of Arabic. And so we set off and I'm quickly starting to realize that this trip is, is not going to be as straightforward as was pitched to me at the ticket office. So we make it to the border after about, I don't know, must've been eight or nine hours. And it's truly in the middle of nowhere. We're in the middle of the desert in the, on the border between Egypt and Sudan. So the part through the border was actually pretty straightforward. We went through, got the passport stamped, et cetera. And then we're on the other side of the border and I'm like, okay, great. We're going to probably hop back on this bus and get going pretty soon. As it starts to get darker and darker, I'm looking around and I'm not really able to communicate with anyone super well. And there wasn't even really an internet connection to use Google translate or anything like that. So it was truly, I was on my own to just mime and try to understand as best I could. And the people I'm, I can't imagine what the fellow passengers were thinking of this, this crazy American guy, you know, trying to get answers and understand the situation we were in. But we ended up spending the night there. And there was really nothing there. I mean, it's just this little border station in the middle of the desert. They locked all the buses with all of our belongings and stuff inside them. And the drivers disappeared to go sleep or drink tea and hang out with their buddies or something. So I ended up just spending the night walking around this, this border station. It was, it was kind of otherworldly. It was a little bit twilight zone-ish because there was just, you know, kind of didn't know where I was and just couldn't really speak to anyone. And it was just. It's just a strange experience. And every time I could get a little bit of an answer out of someone about when we would be leaving, I think it's some, I think it's some element of politeness in the culture there. It's like, they don't want to tell you something you don't want to hear. So they'd be like, oh yeah, well, we're going to leave at 4am. So I'm like, okay, it's 11pm now. All right. I'm just going to, you know, settle down. And then at 4am we're going to leave. And so I'd be sitting there drinking tea, exhausted in this, in this little tent. And it's so hot during the day, but freezing cold at night. And I had all my jacket and stuff on the bus. So I'm shivering, lying, sitting there waiting to go. And the 4am rolls around and what do you know, but nothing's happening. <laughs> so, uh, I'm, I go back up to these guys and I'm like, Hey, so are, are we going soon? And they're like, Oh, oh, oh um, at 10 AM. I'm like, Oh geez. Okay. All right. So like six more hours. It's everyone's settling in, sleeping on sidewalks. You know, there's no facilities around people are, you know, either sitting in little tents, just drinking tea and staying up all night talking, chatting, or just sleeping on the sidewalk on blankets and things. So I end up wandering around and trying a few different places to sleep, but it was so cold and so uncomfortable that, you know, I tried sleeping on the floor. I tried sleeping outside. I tried, I found some big metal table in the border building that was, you know, I tried sleeping on there and it's, I documented the whole thing on video for posterity, thankfully, cause it's funny to look back on now, but I was kind of going a bit insane. And you know, 10 a.m. rolls around. The sun comes up finally, made it through this long night, and we don't leave again. So uh, then they tell me, okay, 2 p.m. 2 p.m. rolls around. We don't leave finally around 5 p.m. So after a full 24 hours sitting at this border, just doing absolutely nothing, we leave. And it, at the time, you can probably see it in the video if anyone watches it. I was starting to go a little crazy. Just, it wasn't even that we had to be there. It was just the unknowing of it. Like, when are we leaving? What's happening? Why are we in this limbo? <laughs> so it, it was, it, it was a pretty funny, uh, little, little moment in the travel journey of, of just kind of confusion and just discomfort. But, uh, you know, by the end of it, it was, it was, you know, it was something I could look back on and, and laugh at. It was just this crazy, crazy journey that I, Never, never in a million years could have expected myself being stuck on the border of Egypt and Sudan in the middle of the desert for 24 hours. But, uh, you know, so what, how did it, that it's a great you? story. How did that serve you? Like what later, what later, later did you do better because of that sort of small nightmare? Well, I'd like to think I would try to understand the logistics of a thing a little more and be certain about things before I, you know, sign on to them. 
but you know, the bigger takeaway was just how much it, this uncertainty and this discomfort made me freak out and kind of lose my mind at times in the heat and the cold. And then to see the way it was totally normal for all the people I was traveling with, it, it gave me this perspective of just how lucky I had been to, that this is just not a part of my daily life to have to endure this kind of, this kind of journey just to get across, you know, a simple, you know, couple hundred miles, which would be an easy, an easy thing to do here in America or in the West. So it gave me an appreciation for, you know, these, the journey that is pretty normal for a lot of people in, in, a, in a lot of places around the world. And, you know, that does, it, that does harken back to something we talked about before, which is the secret to happiness is low expectations. I bet you. Absolutely. <laughs> you set your, you set your expectations different in the future. Yes. Yes. It's all part of a, yeah, learning towards this, this greater understanding and understanding of, of different places and the way certain places function and the way people communicate. It's, it can be very, very different and doesn't always, you know, conform to the way you do things, you know, that, that gets us real close. So we might as well dive in to the subject of scary places, the, the places that mass media put out in front of us story after story after story, only about the terrible people and the terrible things. Like there is this definition of mayhem and disorder and danger that some places uh, get. And you didn't, you don't find that because it seems like by your, by when I just look at the places you've been on your YouTube channel, it looks like you're sort of specifically picking places that might have a bad reputation. State Department's worst nightmare. Yes. Yeah, it's funny, you know, just as a little aside, I never really intended to have a focus on the Middle East, but the way it worked out is I went to Saudi Arabia for my first trip where I made videos because they had just opened up for tourism. And I thought, okay, this could be a good way to jumpstart my channel since there's hardly any videos on YouTube about Saudi Arabia because before then they had no tourism, period. So I went there. And then COVID happened. And then one of the only countries that remained open during late 2020 for tourism still was Egypt. And I figured, okay, I already have this Arab speaking, Arabic speaking audience from Saudi Arabia. Let me go to Egypt and see if that kind of is the natural progression of things. And I went there and luckily, you know, everything worked out there. And so I kind of fell into this niche of like Middle East and Arabic, uh, Arab countries and, and just kind of went from there. Um, but yeah, mostly, I guess a lot of the countries on my channel would, would be places that would raise red flags here in America. And, but that, that's been the, the, you know, just one of the greatest takeaways is that it's not so cut and dry. It's not so simple as what you see on the state department website. And of course you have to take things into consideration and be careful and take necessary precautions, but yeah, to be able to experience that firsthand and learn along my journey that, you know, there is goodness everywhere and it's, it's not so simple as what you see on the news. That's been an amazing takeaway. So share, let's dive into a couple of places that I thought, I thought one way about that your videos really turned, helped me turn a corner. I know we're diving right in here, but talk to us about Iraq, you know? Well, let's first not let anybody get the hair up on the back of their neck. You, sure. you don't go to places where you're likely to need to be rescued. You do a very, you're very conscientious about where you go and who you go with. And there's some little tips. Share with us this fine line that you think there is between going somewhere where you're likely to get abducted and then held for ransom and we have to come save you versus traveling to point out all the good and make the world a better place for your work. Where's that fine line? And give us some tips about that. Sure. Well, yeah, I think there's a big difference between like a failed state or a, a place that's relatively lawless such as just like a Somalia, for example, where there's really no, well, there, there is, but there's a, a very disputed like central government versus in Iraq where they have a federal government. It's not like it was in 2017 where ISIS was there and controlling large swaths of the country. It's, it, it is by definition, the, the government is stable there. They, they control the territory. That, so it's not like you're going into a complete wild card situation. Of course, things can still happen. Just like, you know, something can happen on the sidewalk in New York City, but it's, I think that's how I would differentiate it. And I think it's on a case by case basis, but for Iraq, I was, I was working with a tour company, made sure all of these things were going to be taken care of, asked a lot of questions before I went. 
and then took certain precautions, like especially as a YouTuber with some sort of public following on Instagram and various social media. You know, one of the things, for example, we did was when we would be in one place. So we started in Baghdad. We'd take a ton of videos and stuff. Of course, that was what we were there to do. And I was there with two other YouTubers who had audiences as well, but we wouldn't post the stories and the videos of, of the places we were in real time. So normally when I'm traveling, you know, if I'm in South Korea or something, I'll just be posting all day, sharing with people, you know, what I'm doing and, and tips and various things, all the stuff I like to share. But to interact, we just, we would do it after we'd moved on to the next city. So once we moved from Baghdad to Babylon, I would post stuff from Baghdad. And honestly, it probably would have been fine, but it's just one of those little precautions that we decided to take in Iraq to just go the extra mile and avoid a situation like, like you're saying, where, you know, avoiding putting yourself in a situation that's going to cause you problems, you know, just trying to think to, you know, avoid those situations and, and yeah, so just taking precautions like that and doing yeah, the best you you know, that that is true. <laughs> Even if you go to Costa Rica on vacation, you don't let your kids run off into the jungle behind the house you rented on the beach. You know, I mean, exactly. there's a certain level of caution about knowing what you don't know. <laughs> they have this great phrase. I just came back from Colombia. They have this great phrase there that they say, which is no dar papaya. And it's like a local slang. And it means basically don't put yourself in a situation to be victimized or taken advantage of. So don't walk around the streets of Colombia with your expensive iPhone and your nice watches and things, you know, so that is something that I've taken from Colombia and applied it around the world, which is, you know, you, you gotta be aware and take necessary precautions, but also understand that places are not as simple and cut and dry as you know, you might believe from the media and things like that. Again, there are good people everywhere and it's possible to do these things in most places where you can maintain a certain level of security that you, that would make you feel comfortable. So tell me, give us a story from Iraq that surprised you. I'm sure there are things. Okay. So I need to preface this if we haven't done this so far, that Doug's focus really is on meeting ordinary everyday people and just interacting and sharing joys and a bit of cultural education and all that. So tell us something that was surprising in Iraq that you came across that we Americans would never believe. <laughs> <laughs> well, in the, in a broad sense, I mean, just uh, that most people were so happy to meet an American traveler and as an American specifically. So I traveled with an Irish woman and a British guy, but as an American, it was a little different for me and some of the things I was thinking about going in just because of the war and the recent history and everything. I didn't know if I would be, if I would have to hide the fact that I was American and tell people I was Irish or something, or if I was going to be greeted with hostility or, and that just wasn't the case at all, which is just amazing when you think about, you know, the context of everything. If anything, it was the opposite. It was this excitement and the excitement about American culture and TV shows and movies. And oh my gosh, where are you from? Oh, my cousin lives in Minnesota and just things like that. So I was welcomed so strongly. And then even more broadly, just the hospitality and generosity and kindness of the Iraqi people is second to none. I mean, it, it was, it's just unbelievable. And especially when you put it in the context of everything that country has been through. It's just, it's just astounding that you meet someone on the street and, and they'll invite you to their home or that just share their food with you with asking nothing in return. It's just, it's just amazing. And that's a thing I've noticed, you know, across the Middle East specifically, this, this culture of hospitality is absolutely incredible. But if I have one story that kind of illustrates this point so well about this whole nervousness about being American and telling people there that I was American, I found that people might think, oh, they, you know, they are very anti-American there. But I found that people there, as with most people everywhere, are able and willing to differentiate between a government or pol politics that they don't like and an individual person like me who was six years old when the U.S. invaded Iraq in 2003. It's like people there are normal people, just like you and me. They, they're able to, you know, and to differentiate between that. So I was in Mosul, Iraq, which for those that don't know, was the capital of the ISIS caliphate just about up till five years ago. So it's a, you know, it's a heavy place to visit. And there are, you know, a lot of things there that are disturbing and a lot of destruction and, and sadness. And, and you hear a lot of stories that are 
disturbing. But at the same time, it's this beautiful revitalization of the city that's coming back to life and the rebuilding and the, the ingenuity and, and just so all of that. And I met an older man on the street. He was probably in his sixties or seventies. And he asked me, where are you from? And I told him, I'm Amriki. I'm American in Arabic. And I remember his, he made a face. It wasn't angry, but it was kind of like a, mm. oh, you're American. And then he said to me, we don't like Obama. Obama's bad because of, you know, all the bombings and things that have happened there. And I, for a second, I was like, oh, oh geez, geez, like, what is this? Is he going to be really angry or, you know, so it made me nervous when he brought up politics like that. And after literally one second, he just turns around, comes back to me and gives me these prayer beads which a lot of men carry in, in that part of the world, gives them to me as a gift and says, this is for you. Welcome to Iraq. And I just thought it was amazing that the dichotomy of he expressed, you know, this, this negative view of American politics, which is fine. Like, you know, it's whatever he feels, but then in the next moment turns around and welcomes me as a guest in his country with just kindness. And it was such an interesting kind of sequence of events that he could have these views, but then still treat me with such kindness and generosity in the same breath. I thought that really illustrated the, that, that big takeaway for me. That gave me goosebumps there in <laughs> a moment. And this is the way it could be everywhere, right? Right now we're, we're, we've got a lot of places that wind up in the news about places of conflict, either that we're, we Americans are included in or that are between others and, there's still the ordinary on the street person who's trying to feed their kids and have some joy just like us. And they, that, that's such a great insight. I think I may never forget that you said that, that elsewhere in the world, people are better than us about separating the government from the people. Yeah. I mean, and Iraq is probably the most extreme example of that. I mean, everything that country has been through sometimes directly at, at the hands of our own government and to still be able to do that. I mean, I feel like we can't even do that with things that are, yes. you know, not we can't, but sometimes, you know, we have a tendency to not even do that with things that are to a much lesser extent with politics, with countries that we may be geopolitically opposed to, but then for him to be able to do that through everything was just amazing to me. Amazing. Yeah. It's a, it's a story of the generous heart that's in most of us. Absolutely. So let's let's go take a break. I'm going to tell folks about a wonderful new place of connection for this sort of chat and hundreds and hundreds of stories about people like you who are changing the negative narrative about our times. You know, people are doing the most amazing things in the world. And when we come back, we'll dive into some other great places around the planet that, that we can all learn from. Hi, I'm Dr. Linda Ulrich, founder of the Goodness Exchange and host of the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast. And I want to share something wonderful with you today. So you know how the constant negativity in the news and social media seems to be at some sort of boiling point right now? It's relentless. It can feel like all the joy and potential is being drained out of our future. Well, it doesn't have to be that way. My team and I at the Goodness Exchange are making certain that optimistic people have instant access to positive news. There are newsworthy stories out there about astounding solutions to some of the world's biggest problems, about wonders and leaps in human potential. It's not a lack of good news, it's a lack of awareness. So, if you want to try living with more joy and way less fear, it's really simple. First, head over to goodness-exchange.com, where you can balance your media diet and feed your curiosity about a world with real-life stories, celebrating people solving the world's greatest problems. And second, you can become a Goodness Exchange member. And for just $2 a month, you can help us keep this site ad-free. And what you're going to get is high-quality carefully curated stories all about the good that's happening in our world and all of it sent directly to your inbox or via our beautiful app. In the face of all the negative noise and often discouraging things that happen in our personal lives, you'll be the one who can stay on your feet. You can point to possibility and be the person who makes opportunity of setbacks. People who use the goodness exchange have a spring in their step. 
Every day they radiate joy and confidence because they know far more about the complete picture of what's going on out there in the world. You can do more and be more in a positive way for your kids, your coworkers, your family, and all the people around you because you're going to be filled with stories of goodness, remarkable, ingenious solutions, and progress. Super simple to open the door to a new landscape of possibility for yourself and others. Just get instant access to what's right with the world and leave all the negative noise behind. You can use it every day by heading straight over to goodness-exchange.com backslash join. And you can get 14 days on us when you sign up for this membership. Thanks so much. We hope you'll join us in making the world a better place. There is a conspiracy of goodness going on. And if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably part of it. Okay, we're back. So let, let's revisit where we're at here. We're with YouTuber Doug Barnard. Doug has 440 and growing 440,000 YouTube subscribers. And the reason does not surprise that, that does not surprise me at all. Once you dive into his YouTube channel, you're going to see all these amazing videos that will literally take you on a little trip that you could not have gone on without Doug all around the world. Doug is a, has, runs a YouTube channel where he really connects us to the ordinary person, the lovely, generous, amazing, ordinary people around the world, particularly it turns out in places that are that we often learn about through a harsh lens of the negative news. Is that a good encapsulation, Doug? I think so. That's, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, you know, start with Turkey. Like some of us may have notions about Turkey and you use that as a particularly good example of when you started out, what you were thinking, and then once you got there. Yeah, for me, Turkey, was it wasn't even like, a, oh, this place is supposed to be really bad or dangerous, and then it turned out to not be that way. For me, it was just this realization that, you know, I don't understand everything, and, and visiting s some of these places is, it has just been so eye-opening, and a lot of places are very different than whatever preconceived notions I might have had or someone might have. So for me, Turkey, before I was, before I'd gone there, I, I was kind of almost imagining it as as sort of this very, like, Middle East, almost Morocco, like vibe, you know, through the soup and exploring the markets and the spices. And, and there is an element of that, which is amazing. And I love that. But I ended up finding Istanbul as, which is now probably my favorite city on the planet. And I just ended up finding this enormous, modern, extremely developed, well-functioning, efficient city that kind of just blew my mind. And I was like, oh my gosh. I, I think as an American, for me at least, growing up, Turkey was kind of, it is, it, it is between Europe and the Middle East. It's the crossroads between these two cultures. And I guess in my mind, I didn't really know where to place it. And um, so I, I just thought, oh, it's okay, it's Middle East. But you get there and you just find out it's so much more complicated and intricate and um, unique than that. So that, that for me was an eye opener and just a lesson of, you know, trying to avoid placing places like this into predisposed preconceived boxes that 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 fit a certain view you know Whoa. this is the thing about travel right is that no matter what if it's just going to a neighboring state that you think you knew enough about or <laughs> what have you i mean that's the thing about travel is that it's so easy for our in our soundbite society and the way the news runs to just put lump everything in the same box Absolutely. We learned this very early on. My husband played professional basketball in Spain, and we showed up there in the year that they were having the first free elections after Franco. And so this was an interesting time to be in, in Spain. And, um, you know, we would ask, people would ask us where we were from, and we'd say in Spanish, near Chicago. <laughs> Now, remember, <laughs> they were getting media that was like 20, 30 years behind. At that point, Franco kept the country very under a lid. And um, so when we'd say we were near, from near Chicago, they would go, ah, gangsters, gangsters. <laughs> <laughs> and this was from like, you know, Bonnie and Clyde movies from the yeah. 1940s. And <laughs> this was like 50 years later. But this is kind of a natural human instinct, maybe just to make things make sense. Do you find that travel has made you able to just shift out of that mode pretty quickly? Yeah, I think people, myself included, like we like to think 
I, I think it's comforting to be able to see things in a simplistic way or to sort things into boxes or to feel like we have an understanding of places. And it's kind of like almost this whoa moment when you go to a place and you realize like, okay, I actually don't know everything about this and, and it's way more complicated and yeah, just way more complicated than I would have expected. I mean, I've, I noticed that, but I think with every place I go, I mean, kind of similar to the, what you just shared I, for some reason, it's a lot of Australians. I've met a lot of Australians and I'll say, oh, I'm from the U S oh, cool. And I say, Hey, you should come visit the U S sometime. And they, I, I remember this one time where this one Australian woman goes, oh, I would, I would never go there. I'm afraid of the gun violence. And I thought, well, I mean, you have a point for sure. I, I, I totally understand why you would think that, but it was almost a little funny to me because I thought, well, I've spent my whole life in America and I don't think I've ever even really seen a gun. It's like, I mean, to someone who's from America, it's like, well, yeah, of course that's kind of, you know, there's certain places where something can happen, but by and large, that's not really a big part of my life. And it seemed kind of like ridiculous to me almost, but. Then I look back at some of my own impressions of certain places around the world. And I think of a place like Iraq or, you know, any of these places that have a negative reputation. And it's like saying, oh, I would never go to Iraq because I would be in a terrorist attack. And then you meet someone in Iraq and they're like, what are you talking about, man? <laughs> it's like, we have, you know, there's millions and millions of normal people living here, having everyday lives, raising their kids, going to school, working in IT and in offices and things, you know, just the same as you and me. So. It's kind of funny to have those experiences as the person who's reacting that way, like what? And then realize, oh, I actually, I'm probably doing, thinking about certain places the same way as they're thinking about where I'm from. And that is the opportunity here for us all is to let conversations like this, let YouTube channels like Doug's, and there are so many more that are shining a light mm -hmm. on cultures around the world. If that's all we did with our time is look at videos where somebody's trying to give us a, an honest representation of the good that they find around them in different cultures, we could have a whole different worldview about each other and possibility and all that. But that's my soapbox. <laughs> okay, you've got to tell us a story, for instance, about the startup that's in you know, Sudan gets a bad reputation. At least my generation thinks instantly about Darfur and all the general danger during those days. But maybe that wasn't only Darfur. You have a story about that, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's just, yeah, it's again that, that notion that things are not omnipresent in these places and, and, and they're diverse places with different regions and, and, and different experiences in different places. So I was in, I was in Sudan and I was, I met with a mutual friend. He was a Sudanese guy who had gone to school with a friend of mine in the U S they were fraternity brothers actually. And he was there. My, our mutual friend connected us and I met up with him. We went and we got some fruit smoothies and we, then I went to his office and he had started this kind of startup organization in Khartoum in the capital of Sudan, basically about empowering local artists and featuring their work in his space, which is kind of this event space and, and like almost like a local think tank kind of place where young creatives could come and have their artwork featured and hold various networking events and things like that. And he also does a lot of empowerment work around the country. And he told me he was heading the next week to Darfur. And I remember going, you're going to Darfur? Like, isn't that, that's dangerous. <laughs> and he's like, look, man. Sudan is a huge country. Darfur is a huge region within a huge country. Like that's like saying there's a bad neighborhood in Chicago, for example, and saying you're going to Illinois. It's like, well, <laughs> well, look, but it, you know, this is, it's not that simple. It, it, we're going to this one village to work with these women who are doing this, this type of art. And then we're teaching them about, I think they were teaching them about computer skills and IT skills to kind of empower them to build their business and sell their handicrafts online and, and things like that. But he's just, that was another one of those moments that just continuously happened where it's like, oh, okay. So I guess I really didn't understand everything about Darfur as it turns out. Shocker. <laughs> yeah. So this is, and this is the gist, right? Like story after story, what you're telling us is to pause. Mm far we follow our emotions or what we think we know over a cliff. Absolutely. There's this almost guaranteed to be a little more nuanced to everything you've probably heard or seen or 
any kind of predisposition you have. There's usually, it's a little more complicated, usually. I wonder if this happens to you. I Now, because I've traveled the world, in fact, we drug our kids all over the world since they were little <laughs> to crazy places. They've been to remote oh and played at our feet in Belfast, Northern Ireland, etc. And uh, when you take kids along uh, into some places that have a funny reputation, you have to be, your heightened awareness has to be even better. Now, we didn't take our kids to places at the level that you're at of, of when it comes to bad reputations, but we, you know, we they've been in, they've gotten lost in the Andes and <laughs> the very strange things. So wow. anyway, my point is, is that I think what they, what we, the, our takeaway is that it's never as simple. Like when some people make a very complex topic simple, like they, they make it sound like the answer should be so obvious to us all. It's so simple. That's when my little alarm bells go off. I Me just, too. That's it. I've just started going, no, <laughs> this issue that you're <laughs> making sound like the answer is so simple is so hugely complex. And I usually think either you don't know very much about it, so you're not seeing how complex it is, or you're you have some kind of agenda that you're just trying to use fear to get people to follow you. And so I always pause, you know, there, there may be valid notions about almost all of it, but it sounds like that's what you've sure. learned. You've learned to sort of flip it. Yeah. And I totally agree with you on, on, on that point. And I think especially in the age of social media, there is this tendency to like, there are certain kind of scrappy news organizations that'll put together like, you know, a three minute Instagram video or like some slides that you'll see people share on Instagram that are just like, here's everything you need to know about what's happening and blah, blah, blah. It's like, is it really everything you need to know? Probably not. It probably can't be distilled down into a, you know, an Instagram video that's three minutes. So yeah. I, and I guess the, the flip side, as you say, would be, I don't want to paint a pretty, you know, I don't want to look, see everything through rose colored glasses and say, nope, Iraq is absolutely fine. Everyone just roll up and do whatever you want and go party. And that's not what I'm trying to say either. And in my videos, that's why I don't, I try not to shy away from discussing difficult topics, you know, with my tour guides in Iraq, discussing their experiences in the U S occupation. And then Mosul talking to our tour guides about what it was like to live under ISIS occupation. And because I don't want to paint over these things and just do it in an irresponsible way where I'm, you know, saying everything's fine here now. It's totally safe because things do happen just as they happen everywhere. So I think it's a difficult challenge to try to find the nuance in that. But I, I think by like trying to focus on everyday people, it's like even if there are issues that exist, which they do everywhere, you can still find things that are kind of, at least for me, have been like a revelation in even these places where there may be a lot of concerns, you know, you can still find the, the good stories to tell. Oh, that is such a good, that's a, such a good way of putting it, Doug. These revel these revelation moments that you can mm -hmm. have by putting yourself, I call it out on my growing edges. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Right? I like that. Like, oh, I, I try to push myself out of my growing edges. And, you know, I try also to be really uh, honest with the people around me when I'm out there. So that, mm -hmm. and so that if I'm acting kind of quirky or whatever, that they know <laughs> I'm, I'm reaching. Because that, yeah. that's a human, you know, people can understand. If you're, maybe you've never ever been around someone with a disability and you're, you're reaching for the right words to say. Well, you can just admit it in this cult, in our current climate. I think most of the time it's okay to admit that you're, that you're past your comfort zone or that you're right at the edge. Have you found that, that honesty that, that connected you easily, more easily with people along the way? Yeah, I think so. And it's about finding people. I meet a lot of people, but it's about finding people that are, that have that mutual understanding and want to learn about what you think and you want to learn about what they think. And almost like having that implicit permission to like maybe make mistakes or like not know the right way to ask a question or to talk about something, but to find someone and have that common ground where it's okay to have those conversations and learn from one another, even if it's a difficult Thing to talk about. So, you know, I've got a lot of friends in Iraq that have just been so great that to just be an open book to me and just, you know, be like, ask me anything, man. Like it's it, all of this stuff is complicated and, and there's, there's not necessarily right answers to everything, but if we're talking and we're learning from one another and, and, and discussing these things and coming to a greater understanding, then that's, that's always going to be valuable. So that's been a real privilege to be able to have those conversations.
Yeah, my husband and I always felt like the more out of our element that we were, the the more generous people were if we were just honest about it. You know, there's, you mm-hmm. know, a smile can can speak a thousand words. The level of human understanding without language that we find found out in the world is unbelievable. I totally, totally agree, and that's <laughs> that is something that I think used to make me uncomfortable the notion that like well if i can't talk to them then this is going to be stressful or uh, something's going to happen or it's going to be a misunderstanding but it's almost like you're able to connect on a more like natural level when you can't just like say exactly what you want to say it's just like it's like almost about the energy you're putting out and it's like you you can just connect on on this like almost understanding that it's like we're friends I'm here to help you. It's like a really cool thing. So I love, I love traveling when you can't necessarily speak the same language. It's like this whole exploratory interaction. It's very cool. Oh yeah. (laughs) It's a shared struggle. That's why I think it's important is because if you're with one of those people, like you're describing that also is reaching that finds this sudden connection with an American or whatever, this sudden connection with a, someone who isn't from where they're from, if they find a lot of joy there, then it's a shared struggle to to communicate and to arrive at some helping each other, right? Totally. And then you and then when you do make that connection through, you know, whatever you have to do to communicate, it's like this, yes, yes, yes. That's what I'm saying. It's just like a great moment of like you conquered this these impossible odds to get whatever you had to do done. <laughs> I know. I one time when we were traveling with our kids and we were in a really kind of desperate situation. And I found this guy that looked like a jovial guy and we could function in Spanish and function in Italian. So I just tried those two languages in French. So I kept trying all these three languages to get this guy to help us. And and then, so we would go down these alleys in this short conversation. We would try Spanish together. Then that was failed. Then we'd try Italian. Then we'd try French. And finally he says in perfect English with the Boston accent, where are you from? <laughs> Oh my gosh. That's like out of a sitcom. I love it. We were both American. We were both just assuming. I mean, because it was a very off the beaten path place and we just assumed there would be no Americans there. Anyway. Where are you from? (laughs) Nice and slow. Nice and slow. (laughs) I said, oh. Okay. Okay. So then we got the, we got ourselves squared away. Um, One of the points that I really want you to, to, fill in a little bit for us is this notion too, you've already mentioned one, is that once we have something in our minds about a place, it could be 15, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. My mom was always like that about New York City. She was a great traveler and she went from Midwest, Illinois, where I grew up to New York City. And it was about the biggest, craziest thing you could do. Because at that point, New York City did have a very dangerous, bad reputation, whether it was deserved or not. But there is a time when about 30 years ago when New York was in deep trouble and it was a rough place. But she never let it grow from there. When my daughter was going to move to New York City, she was like, oh, you can't. It's such a dangerous place. You know, there's that, right? Is that once a country makes the news for whatever negative or positive reason, we stick it there. Totally, totally. And it's almost like unless you go there and experience it, maybe you can get this perspective elsewhere. But I think by far the best way to change that perspective or to see how things have changed is you have to go there and see it because when you experience it with, you know, all your senses and you have this lived experience, then it's like, okay. And now I can go tell people about it, (laughs) try to change those perspectives because it's so easy to fall into this, this notion and, and hear something for sometimes years at a time, especially like some of these countries I've been to and go, okay, so that's that. And, uh, I'm never going there. It's not safe, you know? Mm -hmm. And they might've done, you know, revolutions of improvements and stabilizing and all literally mm-hmm. in the 15 years since you last formed an opinion by something in the negative news and remember that started out hyperbolic like we've already right. talked about right right <laughs> How we got Absolutely. that opinion was from the hyperbolic <laughs> drama crazy news media so then the, there's another point to that is that we can also think that a country is like a, a single TV show paints the pictures. Talk to us about <laughs> Colombia and that. Colombia, yes. Well, so I just came from there and I'd been there once before in 2018 when I had just graduated college. In Colombia, I would say 
now, well, you know, of course, in the 80s and 90s, it was all Pablo Escobar, and drug cartels, and it was truly one of the most dangerous places in the world. And then I, I would say probably over time that it was out of the news as it started to change. And then a few years ago, this TV show Narcos comes on TV, which is all about Pablo Escobar in Colombia. And of course, since it's a TV show and it's a dramatization, they glorify all of it and embellish it. And it's based on a true story based on <laughs> And they, they will add and make it entertaining and flashy and violent. And then there became this grim fascination with Colombia. And as more and more people are going there, it seems like, of course, people go in with this as their main source of information about this country. And it's interesting when you go there, there's actually a real backlash against this preconception from Narcos, the TV show specifically. And a lot of people there hate the TV show because you've got some people who go in innocent, uh, innocently enough, but they do have these predispositions. But unfortunately, you've also got a lot of people who are going there to like do the Narcos tour. And so now they're in a place like Colombia, they're trying to push back on that and work really hard to undo some of the, you know, the um, notions that this TV show has created, which is, it's interesting to see like a place actively working to change its image that was probably not fairly given to it. So this is, and you had a wonderful time and you met some amazing people in Colombia, I'm sure. Oh, absolutely. It's one of my favorite places on earth. <laughs> yeah. It's so, beautiful. Yeah. So I'm, I'm telling you, we've got to wrap up, Be, you know, take a few little journeys. You know, you got 10, 20 minutes to kill over lunch instead of scrolling, scrolling, scrolling through the doom and gloom. <laughs> Go someplace that you never thought you'd want to go to with Doug Barnard on his YouTube channel. It will, will bring a smile. Many moments, it's very real. But you'll also go away saying, oh, those people seem just like me. And this is the beauty in our humanity that's waiting for us, I believe, is that when we all discover that that we're only getting a tiny slice of reality from the media in our lives. And we've got to either meet people like Doug who allow us to travel without leaving our chair, <laughs> or we got to get out there ourselves somehow, huh? Absolutely. And I would just say to your audience, if anyone has any questions about any of these places or just wants to ask any questions, feel free to reach out to me because I would love to I love talking about this kind of stuff. And I, my goal with the whole, with the channel and everything is to change people's perspectives, like you're saying, and hopefully inspire some people to travel to some of these places or even any place that they are uncomfortable about to push that boundary a little bit and kind of broaden their horizons. So yeah, thank you so real, much. Well, you're going to find real people there, right? That's the point. Just like you. Exactly. Exactly. The world is filled with normal amazing, kind, generous people that you should go out and meet them and understand them. Lovely. Okay. So are there any remaining big takeaways? I mean, I, maybe that's it. Maybe we just wrap up right there. Are there, can you think of anything, maybe last wrap up, Doug, with the, the how you tailor the value of taking measured risks when traveling? Is there any little last thoughts you want to leave us with that? Well, I think it's so important, especially when you know, a lot of people, I guess, would say, you know, if you're pushing the boundaries and going to these places that, for example, are like on the State Department's do not travel list, you know, you do have to take measured risk. And and I don't, I would never want to push it to a point where I'm going to be having to, you know, be rescued or put myself in danger or do that to myself or my family or, or anything. So I think it's just about learning as much as you can, going beyond the headlines, really digging into a place, and then trying to reach out and actually talk to people who have either been there or who, or who even live there. So, you know, I'll try to connect with people on social media and things before I go to a place to, to get their perspectives and hear their thoughts, because it's just, it's really, really difficult to find it a lot of times in, in our traditional media sources. But if you can get outside the box and connect with real normal people like you and me, they'll a lot of times either put your mind at ease or give you really good advice that you can't find anywhere else. So yeah, at the end of the day, it all comes back to just connecting with normal people and learning from them and, and taking those lessons and then, you know, making smart decisions whenever you can. And, and hopefully it'll be an amazing experience as it's been for me. Oh, Doug, this is so lovely. You've, you've refreshed my view of humanity. What I, I'm going to always question the negative narratives now that I'm hearing, because I think what you're sharing with us is that we're never hearing the whole story. The whole story is never as simple as 
as a news article can possibly put it. And that's, I'm not implying bad intention. I'm just saying, you know, one story is but one story in millions and millions of, of stories of lives well lived all over the planet. Totally. And a lot of times the, the stories are true, like they, they happen, but it's like a lot of other things happen too <laughs> that don't get written about. So, you know, then they never will really get written about, but, you know, so you got to go out and, and find them or, or find alternative ways to learn about them. So, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much. Any of the links that, that we've talked about today will be in the show notes. And we'll have to have Doug back when he's uh, when he's gone to some cool places. Maybe we'll just dive into a cultural to, uh, or two on some future on some future interview. It, in the meanwhile, Doug, where can people connect with you first and, and just get this kind of interaction going? The best place to reach out to me would probably be on Instagram. It's at Doug underscore Barnard, and you can also comment on YouTube or Facebook, pretty much everywhere. But Instagram would be the best best spot, I think. And this is what you do for a living. So you're tuned in. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> as, as best I can. Yeah, this is my uh, day in, day out. All right. Well, thank you so much for any information that we might have mentioned. You can check the show notes and do check out the Goodness Exchange. This is the place in the world on the web with no political agenda, no politics at all, no commercial agenda, no ads, where you can meet people like Doug and thousands of others who are opening a future for us that we're not hearing nearly enough about. Thank you so much. I hope the insights you share with you, you carry you through your week and you start finding all the joy and wonder that we've been talking about. Thank you so much for having me on. It was a pleasure. I really, really appreciate it. And it was great having this conversation. All right. Happy travels to everyone. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.